listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with executive director of the Souk Region Museum, Lee Boyko. Lee, thank you very much for taking the time to speak about the Souk Museum and Archives. How did you get involved with, with museums and specifically with this museum? Well, I got started in Steveston in 1976. I helped start a historical society there in the Steveston Museum and uh, was a founding board member, young teen at the time, and, and I just kept at it. I ended up summer jobs in Delta and Wells and then eventually Museum of Archaeology at uh, Simon Fraser where I was going to school, and then I went up to Prince Rupert, went up there for a six-month contract, and was up there for six years, eventually the assistant director curator, and then a job opened up here in Souk. I applied for it and got it, so I worked here in essentially the first half of the 90s. I then went on to work for the BC Museum Association as the professional development coordinator, uh, I then went to be the Museum uh, Association of Saskatchewan as the executive director, and did consulting for a number of years, and about 11 years ago, the museum here called me up and said, would you ever think about coming back? Mm -hmm. And my life circumstances were such that it made a lot of sense. So the museum itself, Souk Region Museum, opened in 1977. It was, there had been a historical study for a few years before that, primarily volunteers. The original building was built by the, the Lions Club, and so it went through that trajectory of being predominantly volunteer, with some uh, paid staff, summer students, mostly the person, Alita Pierce, who eventually went on to become the executive director here. Uh, she volunteered, but she got paid, but donated her whole salary back for years and years. And the museum just became one of those places that was part of the community. The unusual thing about our funding was it was through a series of referendums, and the most recent one in 2008, where 83% of the voters supported increasing their property taxes to provide operating funds for the facility. So we're a non-profit, federally registered charity. We are also, that tax levy that I mentioned was voted on through the CRD, comes, they administer the funds. We get some provincial funding, we get through the BC Arts Council. We're also the official visitor centre for the area here, so we get some money through Destination BC. But otherwise, it's self-generated funds, some gift shop from events. Uh, we do bus tour dinners and lunches and things like that. But this has very much been a community museum. The municipality is only about 20 years old. Prior to that, we were one of the few public facilities in the area here. And so we really built up a good relationship with the communities. Our volunteer base, who were the key to getting it going, were obviously mostly from the pioneer colonial background, although we very early on had First Nations involvement. The South First Nations had for more than 30 years now have had representation on our board. And so we do, you know, lots of different things. We look at the human and natural heritage of the area. So we have exhibits that look at the flora and fauna. We have prehistory uh, and pre-contact exhibits. The development of the collection over this period of time, what are some of the stories that are, are well represented? I think certainly the period of time from the 30s to 60s, 
are better represented than, say, more recent and, and earlier stuff. We do have some for both cases. And that's certainly reflective of the people who helped found the museum, as I said, in the 70s. We're lucky to have had some people who are very active historians in terms of amateur historians, and professional to this point, I'd say, who've done a lot of research on this area. Our collection, certainly at the beginning, may have been a bit more open than it should have been, but certainly for the past while, we've been trying to be very strategic in what we collect. We only have so much space and, and that. We've been doing a major inventory project for a number of years now. We pretty much have everything in the collection identified and properly catalogued digitally. What are the collections emblematic of? What are some of the, the stories that make up the history of Sucre? Obviously, a lot of the, the work-related stuff, so forestry. We've also been very much an active cultural community, and the arts have been very important to for a long time, and tourism. So our exhibits will also reflect the arts and culture of the area and the, the rich tourism. There's been tourism establishments here for 100 years. A lot of social history, women's history. Souk was the first place that somebody could buy private land, which is now British Columbia. Mm. And although the first tended to be HBC, former HBC employees, many of them actually were Métis and First Nations who moved across with the fur trade. So we had Iroquois and, and that to come into this area. But otherwise, ethnicity over the years has been, this is a pretty white place. And if you look at the Stats Canada stuff now, the percentage of people who are not First Nations, who are living here in terms of ethnic groups is, is less than a couple of percent. So our reflection of the community does reflect that in terms of our stories. Doing a lot major online exhibit about the women of Souk. And our collection has a lot of stuff that represents household, women, involvement in the economy, clothing, things like that. So it's, it is diverse to a degree, like most community museums are. In terms of stories that you've heard from community members, are there some that you feel aren't really reflected or touched upon in the holdings of the collection? Yeah, part of it is a time a timeline. I really think we need to be telling a lot more of the story of the past 20, 30 years within our exhibits. We're our, our exhibit space is very limited and the exhibits are being set so how do we bring in newer stories and so I think that's one of the things that we really need to do but I think we also need to talk a, a lot more about the activism that has occurred in this area our area that we say we represent is basically from East Souk up to Port Renfrew and, and that area has been full of activism over the years. Yeah. And we know that what's happening up at Ferry Creek right now is very much within our area. So there's that story. I think that we've done a pretty good job about the industrial history. We need to tell more about the transition. We've talked about the closing of the last big mill here and the transition from a resource economy to more of a better community, but we need to do more of that. So that's an area that, that transitions would be very important. We've done it to some degree because we ran the Souk Fine Art Show for 20 years, and so the contemporary art sometimes reflected that change in, in society. How do you go about building exhibitions? Do you start from an idea? Do you work with the holdings? It's, it's, it's a, a bit of both. It's more starting with an idea, it, partly because for the longest time we didn't have a good handle on our collection in terms of information. We're now much better off than that. Um, doing it, but it tends to be thematic. At the same time, I mean, something new comes in, 
that's major, we'll look at it. And frankly, we also sometimes chase the grants. What's the exhibit du jour of funders, which it can be frustrating at times when you really need to get X done and but the funders are looking at Y. So it's a mixture of those type of stuff. But I would say mostly we deal with what are some of the stories that we have. Our permanent exhibit space is very small, so we have generally relied on doing at least one major temporary exhibit a year in our exhibit space. This is a community that's had visual artists for a long time. We've got a painting that's based on a drawing that was done by the ship's artist who was here with some of the early explorers. And of course the First Nations art of this area, which one of our challenges is people have a vision of what First Nations are supposed to be like and ours doesn't necessarily fit them all in terms of the art. This was not a totem pole culture, for example, and it's one of those things that we have to you know, challenge all the time when people are, why aren't you doing this? That's not this people's. For to forget this, that there's not just one people's here, there was lots of people. We have an active symphony in our town, as an example, and music has been a large part of it. We've had various people spend time here who are well known in terms of the arts now. So. What are some exhibitions that kind of percolate in the back of the mind that you think would be interesting to put together? So my dream, I want to do a major traveling exhibit that looks at the human and natural heritage of both sides of the strait. So a tale of two sides of the straits or something along that line. I look at the development differences between, because of that artificial border, it was a border even before contact to some degree, working with you know colleagues and First Nations on both sides to try to tell that story. So that's definitely one I'd like to do. Transportation is such a big story out here all the time. We drove out and saw that road construction going on. We tell a little bit about it, but it's such an important thing when you're in an isolated area. It's not as isolated as it used to be. I want to do stuff about transportation. How did First Nations people move across this land and that to the trails, the routes and that to contemporary in the impact of transportation is having on the community now. Why are we a better community? So explaining a bit more about how development happened and transportation is a key aspect of that is certainly an area I'd like to talk a, a lot more about. Mm. What are some things that you're seeing within the community that, that as a historian, as a museum mm-hmm. person, as something to keep an eye on? And what are some changes or transformations? I mean, one thing that's been very noticeable is our historian, who's was Alita Pierce, who founded the place, but she's still our active historian. The amount of requests that she's getting from developers for information about properties. Mm. So what we're seeing is the pressure of development. Um, we're seeing it firsthand just because we're the resource to tell them what happened there before, for environmental reasons or whatever type of stuff. They've got to be able to you know, determine that when they're doing stuff. So we're seeing that a lot. And I think the other side, as I said, is just seeing the transformation of the, the economy to see whether or not there's now going to be enough uh, synergy within the community to allow for local economy because at one point there was a local economy very much the especially the logging industry and the fishing industry where they were based here good paying jobs and the community had what it mostly needed in the past two decades it's really become Langford's a place where people go shopping it's a big box stores things like that so we don't really have that sort of infrastructure here so looking at that change of community going from self-reliant 
to being more integrated as a bedroom to potentially becoming more self-reliant again as, as there's employment opportunities and things like this come up here. Telecommuting and all that sort of stuff that we've experienced even more. With that, the, the pressure on housing in this area is dramatic. And we've got all these people who discovered that they don't need to be downtown to do their work. So they're coming out here. Property prices have dramatically increased, which of course is impacting the local people who've been here all their lives. Uh, their kids can't afford to live so there's those type of issues that are happening. What are, what are some independent research projects that have made use of the collection? First of all, First Nations have certainly made use of our resources, our archival and, and photographic collection. Whether it's individuals, people who are trying to identify their family connection, things like this. We In the 70s, our historian did extensive family tree research back before things were done like that. We've had a number of different filmmakers, so for example, we had some makers that were looking at the impact of the Sikh community. And in the early days, there was, in the forest industry, a large Sikh involvement in this community. We took them out to the sites and they filmed and things like that. We do a lot of our own research for developing exhibits, and that sometimes gets picked up by others. What are some hopes and aspirations that you have, and maybe what are some challenges or obstacles that are in the way of achieving those aims? As most museums say, we need more space, and that's the classic one. Although we've got three acres of land, almost all of it's not usable for building on because it's marshland, and so we're trying to interpret the story of the marsh as well. So that's a big one. Development that's happening. Um, we used to be on a very quiet little road at the corner, really strategically located. Now up the road has become the biggest subdivision in the community, so a lot more noise and traffic in front of us, and it's limiting the ability of people to literally park and see our facility. So there's those type of challenges that are there. Like most cultural institutions, pretty low on the list for support on that. We're a you know, non-profit, federally registered charity, so we often have to go cap in hand to sources, and, and, and be it provincial government or whatever. So funding is, a, is an ongoing issue, continues to be. I think the advantage we have is that we're flexible and we're nimble. We're not tied directly to a government agency, so it gives us a bit more flexibility to take advantage of opportunities. And we need to do better strategic planning. We need to do better long-term planning. Um, remember a number of years ago hearing ex-director of the Glenbow talking about that museums need to have a thousand-year plan. Mm. And it's true. In theory, most of the stuff that I have in our collection should be here a thousand years from now. Can we realistically do that with the facilities we have now? Some things, yes, but it would be hard. Doing that sort of planning for how do we care for our collections over long term? How do we disseminate that information? How do we do more programming with what we have? I've spent so much of our time and effort the past decade dealing with the collections management side of stuff. We're hopefully being able to transition from that towards more programming. Uh, we do things like our night market, which you know isn't a traditional museum thing, but it brings people through like crazy. And we really feel that things like the market and like the gift shop are extensions of our programming. Mm -hmm. And we're showing the local arts that shows the resources that are available in this area, from the wood carvers to the farmers who are bringing stuff in here. So we want to be really part of the community going forward, and we think we're doing that, but we still need to do more events and programs and things like that. What are some strategies or thoughts that you have about about outreach, about connecting with, with newcomers to these communities? You mentioned the night market mm -hmm. as a good way, as a good sequitur 
Twitter in. What are some other thoughts? Having a successful good shop, we're a place that people now come to go shopping. We've actually, even though we're still half of what our normal volume of people come through, our gift shop this year has actually been our best year in sales and gift shop. Mm. And it, I, people really spot the idea of shopping local. So my point being that we have something that is of interest to a broader spectrum of people than just a traditional museum. We had a great series of speakers programs happening leading up to COVID and I think doing those type of things that are still within your mandate but can be a little broader. We had people talking about seaweed, we had people talking about whales and that brought in people who wouldn't normally come here. I think having community style of events to expose people to your facility that aren't necessarily interested in history but they by default they're on the grounds here. I like to think about the RBCM number of years ago, 20 plus years ago, started doing these weekend events where they found community organizations, be it the motorcycle club or the coin collectors or whatever, and that weekend was dedicated to those people and there was something within their exhibitry that they could, or their collections that could also supplement that. But it's trying to find those community groups who are looking for places to show themselves off and making your facility part of that. It's been interesting because we've got this pavilion area that's a covered pavilion but it's open sides. We've been doing all sorts of things. We've got the outdoor education distance learning school. We've been using this kitchen. Night market food is really important and there's lots of, especially like new immigrants and that who are trying to develop ways to make a living. And so our kitchen has become available to them to to do their food and sell it at the market. So think about those type of things that aren't necessarily right in the wheelhouse of what you do as a museum. But food tells a story. Having those type of things, I'm a big believer in, in food-type-based events. And that's a way you can bring in people of different ethnicities, different cultures, to show what they're proud of. So there's things like that. Lee, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and speak with me today. You're welcome. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits, and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.